Okay, we're back. Another month, another batch of polling data. I'm Bob Cusack with The Hill and with Mark Penn. Uh, Mark, uh, if you were going to, uh, this is the thing we do at the beginning of, of every uh, broadcast, is one word to summarize and capture this month's polling, what would the one word be? I think the one word is calamitous. I think this is a calamitous poll for Biden and the Democrats because it's an even more toxic brew of kitchen table issues that are mounting up against Biden and the Democrats. And he shows no compunction or effort to seriously change course in a way that's going to change the numbers. And so he's hit a hit a low point and he's staying there. Inflation in your poll is the number one issue now. The virus has slipped to fourth, uh, which is kind of stunning in, in many ways. Um, what can Biden do? We've talked about this a little bit. I mean, as far as inflation, you know, you've mentioned that the Fed really sets a lot of the policy there. Is, is there is there a real way to attack this problem? Because policymakers haven't been been dealing with this problem for the longest time. Well, I think the first thing is that Biden can't use the first playbook, which is blame Trump. There was no real inflation under Trump. And so it's a problem that started and was created almost exclusively during his watch. So then his second element of the playbook is blame Putin. So uh, and, and I think there's some truth to that. And the voters say, yep, yeah, Putin's to blame also, but they're not letting Biden uh, off the hook. And so that means that the administration's got to do what it can to address it. And inflation, because it's a kind of a long-term wind-up and a long-term wind-down, is a really tough issue to address from, from the presidency. Uh, certainly, I think that, as for starters, he'd have to really do a major U-turn on his energy policies because people see fuel and food prices as the two drivers of inflation that's affecting their daily life. And I don't know that he'd be able to do much about food prices. Maybe he could encourage domestic uh, production of food. Maybe he could provide more incentives for the use of modern agriculture. Um, but but I don't think there's a lot that he could, he could do there. Uh, but he could meaningfully change energy policy overnight. Uh, but he shows no inclination to do so. You know, looking at the horse race, uh, you have the the data show. Okay, Trump would beat Biden forty seven forty one. He would beat Harris forty nine to thirty eight. DeSantis's numbers are pretty good. Harris would edge out DeSantis if Biden doesn't run. Um, you know, Donald Trump was upset about something in the Hill last week, and he called me to complain. Uh, and and I got no indication that he's not going to going to run. Uh, certainly, um, but. But what about these numbers? Are they a bit soft because you've mentioned before when Hillary Clinton was not in the ring, her, you know, her numbers went up. Former presidents, their numbers go up. So if he gets back in the ring, you think these numbers drop a bit? Yeah, look, I think that that uh, former President Trump is benefiting from being outside the political fray, being a former president and being banned from <laughs> from Twitter and Facebook so that he can't mix it up on a daily basis the way he used to. And all of those things have given him about a 48% favorable, which is much higher than Hillary Clinton, much higher than Joe Biden, 
right? And it's a surprising thing during this whole presidency, he never had a positive rating 48, 44 as he has today. But I do think that, that frankly, an, a former president who's outside politics goes up to even, you know, the mid 50s. So this is actually a somewhat depressed level. Uh, for a former uh, politician, but it's a somewhat elevated level for a presidential contender. And I do think if he got back into the ring, uh, you would, you would, un unless a new, completely re revised Donald Trump got into the ring, who says, "Oh yeah, I, I lost that last election, but I'm going to win the next," unless he gets rid of all of the baggage that he's accumulated. I think the minute he gets in, that will be the best day that he sees in terms of his ratings. And I've seen this before. Okay, let's, uh, along those lines, if Biden doesn't run, uh, Harris leads the pack, but not a very strong number, only 28%. Uh, with Hillary Clinton at 15, you know Hillary Clinton. Uh, do you think that, you know, she's going to look at these numbers and say, if Biden doesn't run, uh, he will be turning 80 uh, early, uh, later this year? that she might get in? Well, I think Hillary Clinton definitely might get in. I think knowing Hillary as I do, she uh, wants to be president. She wanted to be president. She ran twice. Uh, I don't know how many times Al, you know, Al Gore ran. I don't know, Joe Biden must have run like half a dozen times. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't think, the, the issue is can she win and does it make sense? Her, you know, the, you know, at 15 percent in the Democratic primary, the, the Democratic voters are not saying it's your turn. Last time they said it's your turn. Right. And they and she would have been at 45 percent to start out. And I don't think they really want to go backwards. They want to go. They want to go forwards. I think Harris is only at 23. But institutionally, the vice presidential candidate with an open nomination, the vice president, the sitting vice president, universally has been successful in winning the nomination because once the midterms are over, she will get the party apparatus, most likely be able to appoint her own head of the DNC and have a lot of built-in organizational advantages that no one else has if the normal protocols are followed and if Biden doesn't do an Eisenhower, right, which is, you know, Eisenhower really didn't help Nixon, uh, uh, but he still got the nomination and almost won the presidency. Uh, I think in this case, um, in this case, the most shocking thing is the, the, the very small percentage, I think 34 percent of Democrats who would support Joe Biden if he ran for reelection. Uh, they really see him as one term at best, and they see uh, really... Uh, they, they really see Harris as not really having impressed them because she's only got 23. And so she has a lot of ways to go to really galvanize and win over the hearts and minds of the Democratic constituency. Going, you know, looking forward to the election and the midterm, you know, one of the uh, findings is that, you know, if you're going to pick a Republican or Democrat for Congress, Republicans have a pretty sizable edge, 53 to 47 um, is that the most troubling thing for, for Democrats, uh, or is it, you know, Biden's losing independence, uh, his approval numbers? What, what, what is the thing that, that you, that you would most be worried about here in, in these findings? Uh, the biggest problem for the Democrats is the overwhelming shift among suburbanites back to the Republican party. 
Because mm-hmm. you know, in in reality, we know there are a couple of constituencies that have been that have been shifting around. The working class, you know, was galvanized by Trump, moved, you know, decisively to the Republican Party, and the suburbs have been were turned off by Trump, moved to the Democratic Party, and now with inflation, taxes, crime, immigration, a kind of uh, a group of kitchen table issues. The people in the suburbs, remember, they're generally having to pay for everything that they do. They're, they're, they're not heavily subsidized, right, in the same way that the higher percentages of urban voters would be through government programs. And so they're considerably more sensitive to economic changes like inflation. Uh, and, and so consequently, you really see this, how independents have moved against Biden and the Democrats. Not a surprise, mm-hmm. but really the suburbs, that's the most troubling number. And you saw it reflected in the elections in Virginia and New Jersey. As you mentioned, there's a lot going right for, for Republicans. And now we're uh, in the midst of a Supreme Court nomination. Judge Jackson, in, in your poll, is supported 57 to 43. She's going to get through. Um, I, I would think that Republican leaders kind of want to move on from this and, and not uh, really attract negative attention. Of course, some Republicans have really gone after Judge Jackson pretty hard. Uh, do you think that there'll be any benefit for, for Democrats? And is there, a, is, is there a potential problem for Republicans of going too far to attack her? Well, I think that, that the Democrats are trying to portray the Republicans as having gone too far. I think that's the game they are playing. And the Republicans are playing themselves, you know, into that argument mm, just a little bit. I mean, right. they're going a little overboard. I mean, they'll say in their defense, hey, we're not asking him to go through every page. We're not asking her to go through every page of his yearbook and go through every time at a college party she ever had a drink. So right. they, they, they manifestly view the whole process as unfair. And so consequently, I think you're seeing them. Having said that, you know, other than playing to their base a little bit, I don't really see the point of these things. I, I, I think that everybody knew that she was going to get the nomination. I think Lindsey Graham has been the most sincere in saying, look, Joe Biden, you could have chosen somebody who was a little bit more moderate, whom I could have wholly supported. And I think it's just another decision point in, in this administration that when consistently given a choice, between moderating a bit and going with the left or progressive groups, it goes with the left or progressive groups. And that's what the administration did. And I think it's going to go through and, and that'll be that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Graham, as you know, supported Kagan and Sotomayor. So he he's, he's clearly not going to support Jackson, though. Um, and I think the only question is how many, if any, Republicans vote yes. But they don't need any Republicans. But um Another issue in the news, obviously, is is the the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Surprising uh, data here: forty seven percent support uh, more U.S. troops, troops going in and 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 dealing with Putin, and fifty nine percent say uh, he should be taken out, he should be killed. Uh, what do you attribute those numbers to? Well, I I think that uh, I attribute it to the Hill. And, uh, you know, the, the news media that has been been able to really broadcast the horrific nature of the war. Look, it is a horrific war. You, you look at how some of the towns are being systematically bombed 
right, uh, in order to terrorize the population. And we're able to see that in real time in a way that people couldn't see World War II. We're seeing World War II-like conditions even worse. So uh, actually, the percentage of people who favor troops went down in the last month. A majority of people favored troops the month before. What you really see is people have a slightly more sophisticated view a month later. Uh, they want the president to be tougher and more successful. They want they they do support a no-fly zone. They do support the jets. They do support advanced weaponry going to the Ukrainians, and they stop short fifty-three forty-seven uh, in terms of sending troops. Which means, frankly, that if a president wanted to lead the country in that direction, he or she probably could uh, lead them in that direction. I think Biden has done everything but, and in fact, Biden is seen as too lenient, you know, and too weak against a Putin who they believe if Trump had been president would not have invaded the Ukraine. How devastating uh, uh, politically, um, or would it be devastating, uh, should, you know, Russia's had some major problems uh, and the Ukrainians have, have fought valiantly. Um, but if they're able to uh, to take over the country and take over the capital, um, what does that mean for Joe Biden? I mean, Joe Biden, I think, you know, I think people are mixed on how he's handled it. I, I think in some ways he's done good to unite the most of the world against an invasion. But on the other hand, you know, they're saying things even to this day that they never said that sanctions were a deterrent. They clearly said that sanctions were a deterrent to war. And, and and you can just roll the videotape, and it's that's where I just whether it's Trump or Biden, I'm always perplexed when when presidents get so defensive that they forget that they're on camera saying certain things. But 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 would what would that mean politically for for this White House? Yeah, well, well, first you picked up or you've seen the same tapes that I've seen, <laughs> in which in which Biden says it was gets angry at the press for suggesting it was a deterrent when every single member of the administration had it as a clear talking point. Yeah. The vice president on down and, and Jake Sullivan. And so he looks ridiculous not knowing the fundamentals of his own foreign policy. And, but that is exactly what people see as the problem that they question whether he is a figurehead being led by, by a group of, of, of well-meaning experts who don't have the same leadership capabilities that we would need in a strong president through situation like this. Look, I think that if if Putin wins the war, that will be devastating for Biden because it will be he lost Afghanistan, he lost the Ukraine, you know, what's next in Taiwan, what could happen with Iran and, and, and the Mideast and even Israel, you know, is there, is there, you know, every part of the map you've got, you've got North Korea launching long range ballistic missiles, you know, after having been relatively uh, quiet, you see the world order dissembling on the basis of a weak American president. And, and so he has to stalemate at worst Putin in this, no matter what it takes, because the alternative uh, is so devastating, not just to his presidency, but to but to the world order right. um, that, that, that I don't think he has any choice. The Iran nuclear deal, if if a deal is struck, uh, you know, that hasn't gotten the headlines because Ukraine has dominated the, the headlines certainly recently and, and, and will continue to do so. Um, is that going to be a net negative for him or net positive if they strike a deal? Well, last time, about 65 percent opposed the Iran deal. Uh, however, uh, the, the, 
the president was able to sustain it or not have it vetoed in Congress. Uh, this time, I think that a majority in Congress will outright be against it and put themselves on the record. I think moderate Democrats will line up to vote against it. So, so I think at least internally, politically, in terms of the U.S., uh, I think this is, would be another nail in the administration's coffin and be seen as laughable to have an Iran deal at this point that we can't talk to the Saudis and, and get oil from them to after four years of having put together a coalition between Mideast countries and Israel against Iran to basically, basically cater to Iran, do a deal, you know, over the objection of Israel and those countries that we put together who want to stop Iran, Iranian aggression. And, and such a deal doesn't have any commitment to stop terrorism or regional actions. I think it'd be an incredibly uh, naive uh, political move on the part of the administration to move forward with this. Mm -hmm. It's as though they had like, they were stuck in the Obama gear and they didn't realize the world has changed uh, and they can't go back into that gear. What do you make, you know, you you are constantly polling on individuals and politicians, whether it's in media or in politics and lawmakers. And uh, DeSantis's numbers are consistently above water. Uh, they're, they're, he's plus eight. Uh, why do you why do you think he he's been able to attract so much interest? And when I go outside the Washington bubble and talk to Republicans, there are a fair amount of people who say, you know, I like Trump, but I really like DeSantis. I think it's time for him to 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 move forward. That you know, they they and they're not sure Trump can win again, but they think DeSantis. Why why do you think his numbers are good? Well, look, first I think it's a country that wants to move forward, not back, which is why I don't I don't think it's very likely that either Trump nor Hillary Clinton will actually end up with the nomination. Now, if I'm wrong, they both get the nomination. <laughs> uh, and, and we have quite a repeat election, but I don't think that's definitely not what the country wants. So, uh, and I think DeSantis, you know, he took some risks in Florida. He kept the state open. He's been very smart in terms of policy on, you know, whether it's issues like tech, he doesn't hesitate to stand up to corporate executives you know, he takes very clear, earnest positions. And so consequently, I think he's seen as someone who has the knowledge, the clout, the ability. He's not all talk. He's not just a senator. He's running one of the major states. He holds the line on taxes. I think that he is seen as an increasingly, you know, attractive potential nominee on the Republican side. He loses to Harris in a head-to-head -head just because, uh, I guess, because he's not that well-known. You know, he's kind of known, you know, in, in the mostly in the East Coast here. Uh, and, and so he doesn't, you know, his he would have an opportunity in a presidential race to tell his story and get his story out. The real question is whether or not he is going to uh, stand up and try to defeat Donald Trump in a Republican primary or not. Anybody who defeated Donald Trump in a Republican primary would probably stand an incredible chance of being elected. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we've talked before about, you know, Joe Biden uh, and some all White Houses to some degree are uh, stubborn. And we're seeing that certainly, I think, from this White House as far as whether it's political reality, what happened at, in Afghanistan. And your polling and other polling is showing this is going, you know, a red wave is is building. 
Joe Biden did not pivot in his State of the Union um, for the most part. Do you think that that you know, and you you were uh, a Clinton veteran of 1994. Do you think that the election, if it is a, a red wave, that could cause uh, this Biden White House to to pivot afterward? Well, normally, a, a a bad congressional election would prompt a pivot. Normally, I think there's so much evidence of a bad congressional election coming that it would have forced a pivot now. That didn't happen. But even if you say, well, look, don't worry, let's see how the people vote. Let's stick to our policies. So normally there are two dynamics that would, that would create that pivot. Number one would be the president running for reelection saying, as Clinton did after the 94 congressional elections, I'm going to be out of office at this rate. We've got to change. Now, only 34% of the Democratic electorate is voting for Joe Biden to make him the nominee next time. That suggests to me that very few people think he's going to run again, and very few people want him to run again. So it's not like so. So I think he's he's very weak internally, and so if he's not running again, then that that general reason for a pivot won't be there. Then the second reason for the pivot usually is that if the president's not running, the vice president says, "You've got to give me a maximum chance to win. You've got to pivot." But everything, every indication we have, because Kamala Harris is so weak with the Democratic Party herself that she's going to want to build among the Democratic base. And so she's not going to want to pivot in the same way that that an Al Gore would have been. Look, you have to pivot in the in the last two years uh, of a president that's not running for reelection. So because of those dynamics, it doesn't look like the Democrats are going to make the pivot and it will be up to whoever becomes either the Democratic or, you know, nominee to, to do that or not, uh, the way, the way President Clinton did when he got the nomination. You know, looking at the playbook for Republicans, uh, this year in the midterms, I think it's pretty straightforward and correct me if, if you think differently, but it's, it's crime, energy, uh, the border, you know, those, those resonate with independence. They also resonate with the base. Do you see those issues being in the sweet spot for Republicans? And the tougher question is, what do Democrats run on? Well, I mean, I mean, that's, you know, for Republicans, the question is whether or not they can take a layup and make it right, or whether or not they're going to go off on a bunch of weird divisive issues. When they when in this case, as you as you point out, they can just go Kind of with a with a straight path here, and 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 ask the old Reagan question: Are you better off now uh, than you than you were, or are you worse off? And I think, you, and then you're going to go down these issues, these these kitchen table issues. That requires an element of message discipline that the Republicans, you know, don't seem to have mastered. But but maybe uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And on on the Democratic side. Uh, again, Pelosi is about the one of the most disliked figures, and like so, she didn't retire. So, if I were the Republicans, most of the attack ads would be just as we used to attack Newt Gingrich would be right. would be geared at, at letting at giving Nancy Pelosi yet another term, uh, and I think that that'd be pretty effective. And uh, I think what you're really beginning to see is the Democratic moderates are trying to separate themselves from the rest of the party. Because you can't run on climate change and racial justice when the country is concerned about crime, immigration, and inflation and expect to win anything but the Democratic base. 
Uh, and so I think they have some message, message challenges. They've always done well with healthcare. Yeah. Uh, and they did how they did well with healthcare a while ago, but they haven't developed a healthcare message this time. No, I mean, other than passing a COVID bill, um, along party lines, I mean, they have not had a healthcare victory. They have not, you know, they've talked about, and it was in Build Back Better, as you know, of lowering drug prices. And so it's, yeah, even on that, which is definitely in the sweet spot for, for Democrats, you know, they, we just had an anniversary of the Affordable Care Act and Democrats talking about that. But, you know, that's, that, that, I don't, I, that I don't think is going to work. And we saw, we saw in Virginia, in my home state, you know, Terry McAuliffe, uh, just talking about Trump, that, that didn't work. I mean, do, do you see Democrats kind of falling into that trap again, talking too much about Trump? Well, uh, I don't see them talking as much about Trump, although, uh, you know, because I think that's become become less less effective. Yes. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I think that the moderates have to be working for the two party solutions. They have to be more in in the hey, we're problem solvers. You know, they may have to generate. They may have to go local and try to find problems with the Republicans' opponents. I mean, I think that you're. It's really kind of very difficult with a president in office who's disliked to generate a national message apart from what the president is doing. So the president's going to set the message. They've said that the vice president is going to go out extensively on the campaign trail. I want to see who welcomes her <laughs> on that campaign trail. Yeah. Uh, and and so they've got to put together, you know, some fear of the Republicans and what they're doing with with health care is probably the best issue. Uh, you know what they have, uh, but but as I say, right now I, I agree with you. It's a pretty def- difficult message. And and that's my last question: is you know, who is going to be if you're if you're a, a Democrat like Josh Gothheimer in a tough race across the country? Do you want or anybody else who's in a tough race in a purplish district? Do you want Biden? Do you want Harris? I mean, who do you want? Do you want a Michelle Obama? Do you want Barack Obama? I, I don't know. I mean, but Biden has been very popular on the campaign trail. That is not going to be the case this year. Well, but if you're a moderate Democrat in a uh, in a swing district, you have to localize the race. You don't want any of the national figures place. I, I think that, that you want about what you delivered for your district, right? Since you were in the position, you were able to back the COVID bill, you were able to get relief to the district, you were able to get things, you were able to probably you supported infrastructure as transportation well. Transportation bill, yep, yep. Right? Yep. So you've got to take transportation, infrastructure, COVID, shape it into a record and say, hey, we've been delivering for you here in the district. You know, that's probably the best message that they're going to have so that because people do generally want to continue their 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 local. The problem is that there are, if conditions stay as they are, they're just going to be a lot of angry voters and they don't really care about the campaign. They just want to express their anger at the ballot box. Yeah. Uh, and the way it's going right now with these numbers, there's going to be a lot of anger directed at the White House from those moderates. <laughs> I think it's fair yep. to say. There's a lot of frustration out there, as you know, Mark, with with the White House. And, and a lot of there are a lot of nervous Democrats um, for for historical reasons, because, you know, Biden's in the White House. And so the Democrats are under the gun, um, but also because of these numbers and, and policies. Yep. Well, you know. These sanctions were never meant to deter the Republicans. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, any any closing thoughts? No, I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting. We polled on some of the social issues, too, in the poll. And, 
again, those issues are a lot more controversial than people than people realize. I think that uh, you know it's, it's it's if you you know not at all clear that uh, you know DeSantis is going up against Disney. It's not at all clear that Disney is going to get the better end of that. You know, over DeSantis, who so far has read you know public opinion a lot better. So I don't think those are the major issues right now. I think the major issues are really, you know, in, really the economy and inflation and, and those environments. But, and I think that's that's what we're really going to see play out. That the kitchen table issues here are going to be the central issues uh, if everybody focuses on. Great stuff. Another another great batch of, of data. Enjoy the conversation, Mark. <laughs>